The grass is bluer on the other side as the music universe returns to reviewing in-person concerts post-pandemic today on the Music Universe podcast. A lot to get to today, buddy. How are you? I'm fine, brother. How are you? (laughs) I knew it. Oh, my God. I just saw... You know, I keep discounting the Oaks. We we saw the Oaks in uh, in November, but just just as a control, that was a great show. It was a Christmas show. They really didn't do too many of their hits. Of course, they had to do Elvira, mm-hmm. but it was a Christmas show. It was more dinner theater because it was set up in a ballroom. We were sitting at round tables. We were socially distant. We could keep our masks off. I remember that. Yeah, because uh, we were socially distant. And that was really rare for that time in in the pandemic. Um, We were very far away. We were close to the stage, but also far away from the stage at the same time. It wasn't a concert atmosphere. It was more like a dinner theater atmosphere. I just got back from Ram's Head on stage where I interviewed and saw the concert uh, from uh, Dan Tominski. Yeah. And I've loved Dan since I was in high school because I'm a, I'm a big Allison Krauss and Union Station fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just over the moon with that kind of music. And then uh, in 2018, he had an album, 2017, he had an album called Southern Gothic that combined EDM with, um, with bluegrass country with country bluegrass, uh, in a really unique way because he had been the voice for Avicii. I, I said Calvin Harris in the interview, but he had been the voice for Avicii's Hey Brother. Uh, and uh, and people knew him then. And then he was like, you know what? This is really cool. I'm going to explore this little niche. Mm-hmm. Then he did. He released the album and then he released uh, the Platinum Sessions about a year and a half ago. Uh, uh, which was a, a little bit of a continuation of it. So, uh, which was an EP. Um, this show that I saw was all bluegrass, and so we talked about him toggling between bluegrass and the oh, forgive me for yawning. It's been a very long day, but despite the yawn, I have all the energy in the world because it, it was just it was an it was amazing to see a show in person. So we're going to talk a lot about seeing shows and shows returning after this interview. He really opens up to me about uh, the success of the album, post-mortem of the album of Southern Gothic, what he learned, being back on the road after COVID, and uh, some new music possibly coming that actually he told me once we were done, and I'm sure he does not mind me sharing this, that uh, they're coming off the road. Uh, they're doing one-offs. They don't have a full tour they're doing one-offs, and in this lull, once they get back to Nashville, they're going to be doing um, some mixing of the new uh, of the new music. So uh, we got a lot to cover after this interview. So stick around. But here's the interview with Dan Tominski. Good to uh, finally officially meet you. I met you very briefly after your show at uh, Gramercy Theater in t- 
2018, early 2019. Oh my gosh, you were you were one of the three people there? Oh, stop. I'll be damned. Eric said the same thing. Come on. That album was so good. And I listened well, to it on the regular. He tells me, you don't do it any. You don't do stuff from it anymore. Um, well, the, we toured with that album for a little over a year yeah. um, when, when I first put that out. Because that's really, there's a... There's not a lot of connection between that type of stuff and what I've normally done with my bluegrass music. So when I put that album together and wanted to tour with that album, I put together a band to be able to play that stuff specifically. So none of those were my bluegrass guys. So the next stuff I'm putting out is back to all straight up bluegrass. Um, and I've got the the my dream band kind of with me. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be playing acoustic music again. I mean, I loved Southern Gothic. I loved the band I had. I loved the music. Um, and in the future, we might work in some of those songs because I think the subject matter wise, I love the songs. I think they will work with what we do, but we haven't worked that stuff up into the bluegrass work right. yet. Have a toggle between both. What new you just said? Next stuff you're putting out? Uh, did you do a lot of writing, a lot of working over over the quarantine when everybody was at home? You know the, the as rough as it was to go through that that year and a half, you know, COVID. Which and that, for me, it was a little worse. I had a year that I took off prior to COVID for a shoulder injury. So I canceled a year and was going to work double time coming into the COVID season and ended up, you know, I was two and a half years without work. Um, But I look back at it and I, I I wouldn't change anything. I mean, I have appreciation and a a vantage point to, to see things, I think in a way that I could have never looked at them before this trouble. I have, I mean, the music that I write means more to me now. Um, what I spend my time doing, I'm, I'm a little more judicious with how I, I use my time in making music and recording. I built a, a recording studio in my house over this time so that I could have some place to work. So yeah, I've been doing a bunch of stuff over this, this, the, you know, the, the pandemic period, um, making new music, writing new music, and more than anything, building a place that I can record this music yeah. at home. Love it. You know, you, I know you got away from Southern Gothic, but you did release... Gosh, the name of the I have the EP, but its name is escaping me. Oh, the Planetarium uh, session. Yes. What? Tell me about those. Those kind of came out of nowhere, and I flipped out. I'm like, oh my gosh! I tweeted at you. I'm like, more of this style. Where oh did those well, come I from? really appreciate it. So that stuff again through all that time, I was writing songs, and I yeah. just I, I had these songs. So I was working with a management company at the time when I had taken the the Southern Goth the Universal uh, recording contract. I got management that seemed you know this to sync up everything. Anyway. I've I've been jokingly calling that my you know my that's that's the the painkiller sessions because that was during the time when I had hurt my shoulder so I mm. couldn't really play yet but I wanted to make I, there had been so much time without releasing anything that I wanted to put something out coming off of Southern Gothic we had drums we had electric we had a little bit different style so I had these songs that that we thought, you know, maybe I can get through these these few songs, we can do an EP so that I can say that I recorded something. <laughs> so again, I put together a band specifically for those songs. Yeah. Um, and went in the studio and did that. And I remember the the pain level that I was in. I mean, I can listen. I don't know if you know if, if the, the people who hear it can tell, but I listen back and I can I mean I can hear the you know, I can hear the the Darvis said coursing through my veins. It was it was really a rugged time in my in my rehab point, you know, trying to get back to where I could play. I couldn't play any song all the way through. Mm. I could play until I'd have to stop. So those songs, even though I'm playing on them, I would just play like a, a few bars at a time and I'd have to stop 
and gather myself and then I play a little more. So that stuff that I played on there was really difficult for me. Um, but I love the songs and I wanted to put some music out that I, again, um, it's turned to where my career has become for me a little more about the songwriting, you know, coming up with the songs or what yeah. I really look for. So what inspires you as a writer now? Life, life in general. You know, I found that for me, there are, first of all, I'll, I'll categorize two different schools of people. There are people that are just born songwriters. That's how they think. That's what they've done their whole life. They've always written songs. And there are people who I think have the ability to write songs that don't necessarily spend all their time doing that. I clearly fall in the second category for me. I'm a person mm -hmm. who can write songs when I can, you know, tie my shoes and get, you know, put my mind to it. Um, I felt like most of my life, I was a little too reserved or a little too insecure to let my truth out in, in song. I, you know, I thought it would be, I was worried about how it would be judged, how it'd be looked at, what people might think of, of me as a writer, as a person, whatever, all this stuff that I can look at now and say, as you get a little bit older, you stop worrying about what people, you know, what people think and you, and you write what's true to you. And some people will be on board with that. Some people will disagree totally, but you can't really worry how people will accept the stuff that you write. If you're really trying to write truth, you write your truth and hope people accept. So I think I'm at a point in my writing and in my life to where I'm not as worried about, not necessarily offending people, but I'm not worried about the subject content that I put out. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty free to talk about anything that I see in life. And I think Southern Gothic was a good example. I mean, a, a better title for that record may have been Breathing Fire. Yeah. When I think about the entirety of the record, Breathing Fire is a mo had a more common thread to all the songs. That was kind of me holding up a mirror to society, saying, this is all the stuff I see. What do you think? I tried not to be judgmental or say this is right or wrong, but I tried to expose everything that I saw. Mm -hmm. I like doing that when I write songs now. I mean, I like... Even I'm writing more bluegrass music now, for instance, than I've written before, but the subject, you know, the content that I'm writing about is not cabins and, and mom and dad in the old home place, um, which is a very common bluegrass kind of theme throughout the entirety of the music. I'm writing songs that that I think are a little more courageous, a little more daring, a little more left field in the subject content. I mean, it's I'm, I'm finding there's a free there's a freeness and a, there's a freedom in in yeah. writing. I get to express in ways I ne you know that I've always only done through my instrument. I've always expressed everything either through what I played or how I played, or how I sang something, not necessarily even the subject matter of the song, but I always sang it with a little, I feel like with kind of fangs and a little bit of venom. That's the stuff I like. So when I write songs, I like the same thing. I like there to, you know, sometimes it can make you a little uncomfortable. And that I, you know, I, I see that as okay now, where in the past I didn't. I love that. How does it feel to be back on the road? I am so grateful to be back on the road. I don't think I can, I don't think I have the vocabulary to, mm -hmm. to really express in full how great it is because it's the only thing I know. This is pretty much all I've ever done. I mean, I've traveled since I was probably six or seven years old and I've been on the road pretty much the whole time. So spending this much time at home, like I said, I, I have, I refuse to, to look at things without trying to find the silver lining. So for me, through this period, you know, my focus was to try to find out, okay, so how can I make lemonade out of these lemons? And I found a way to do that. Um, but being on the road is my safe place. It's what I'm comfortable with. It's what I know. And it's just where I feel at home. So the road is, is very welcome to me. Last time I saw you, you were out with Brad Paisley. And you had 
Now, Brad was very generous with his openers in that you all got a spot on his main set as well, but you had uh, uh, what I always think is the tough spot as as the first guy out. Totally. Uh, as as uh, as the, the as people are coming in, what was that like to to be in that position? Normally, you're with Allison Krauss, or you're the headliner, <laughs> right? But to be the first opener, to be pulling people in and having them go, oh, something's going on. I like that voice. I got to run in there and get it. Was that a challenge? Was that fun? How was so that? at first it was very nervous. I was very nervous about it because when you start the show as the first guy opening a thing like that, I mean, people plan their time around sitting down when Brad starts. Yeah. Or in this case, maybe when Kane starts. I mean, he had as much following there as Brad. I feel like, you know, Kane is huge. So playing first, uncomfortable because I have been used to, I mean, I spent 20 years, you know, with the past 20 before that with Allison playing last and we we never took the stage until all the seats were full so it was very strange um but at the end of the tour like i really i think i felt better about it because i felt like i was accomplishing something rather than to have the people were already going to be there anyway like when i play with allison i know the people are going to be there i was you know i was i was comfortable and and you know i always knew how it was going to be it's very it's it's nervous to wonder if people are going to come down, if you're going to get their attention or not. I mean, by the end of the tour, I was so happy. I mean, I, I found, you know, like the bands, like Kane's band and Brad's band, they were side stage watching. Like, it's yeah. rare to have the bands watch. I mean, we do this for, I mean, that's all we do. We don't spend a lot of our time, you know, listening to the opening acts of when we play because we have stuff to do. So that made me feel great. I mean, it made me feel like we were doing something valid. And by the end of our show... Yeah, people, we, I mean, I saw a steady influx of people. I mean, you're very aware when you're playing on stage whether people are leaving, coming in, paying attention, or talking to each other. Yeah. And through all that, I really felt like there was the majority was pulling people in. So it was a really good feeling at the end of it. A little weird to, to be the first one out there, but uh, very satisfying at the end to have, to feel like you were, you were touching people when you're playing songs that they have no way of knowing. Well, I was there, and I'm not saying this just to, to kiss up. I'm saying this so you understand. I was there for you. I covered Brad the year before at the same theater. I was there for you because of how much I love your music. I, ha well. I have Wheels on repeat as much as I have uh, Southern Gothic on repeat. So I, I hate to be negative, but I, I hope you weren't disappointed. And the performance of that. No, it wasn't. It it was it it wasn't disappointing at all. It was what I really expected. I mean, we did a few other shows. I yeah. mean, a, a good example, like for me, I, the one that that kind of made me feel okay with all of that. We played one of the first shows at the Berkshire in Alexandria, Virginia. Oh wow! Now that's a venue that I have played multiple times, many many times in the past. Always bluegrass with different. You know, I played it with the Lonesome River Band, with Allison Krauss, with Tony Rice, with the Southern Scene, with a bunch of different people. Yeah. All bluegrass. So when we booked and I found out we were doing the, the Berkshire, that was kind of the tester for me. And I told the band, I, you know, I said, guys, just just know. I said, we're probably going to lose maybe 20, 30% of the people. I mean, might leave. That was just, I was just prepared for it. Yeah. And uh, we started the show and halfway through the first song, I saw the first two people stand up, you know, an older couple that was in the front. And they stood up and they walked to the back and they sat and they turned around with their backs against the wall got a little farther away from the speakers but they didn't leave not a soul left everybody stayed everybody was really enthusiastic more so than i thought they would be because i i'm used to playing a certain set list and people have their certain songs they want to hear and they're all older bluegrass stuff um when that flew at the Berkshire, it made me feel like it could fly anywhere um and it was one of those you know i was prepared to go longer with that had yeah. it 
had it continue, you know, had it had it caught on a little bit. But what I found is what it took us to play that show, and what we were getting for for money to to be this opening act. I mean, without tour support, we couldn't afford to do it. I mean, we literally couldn't right. make enough money to bring that show on the road without some tour support or without a situation like Brad, you yeah. know, throw me on opener. So thrilled to play to that many people. I mean, but you know, by the end of the show when we finished up, I mean, it was mostly full. Like there were well, you know, three quarters or more. Yeah. So I felt like we were doing our job and it, and, and it was great. I was excited to do more of it, but I was also, and you know, like oddly relieved when it went a little bit back to the bluegrass, because if you really like, if you scrutinize that show and really think about this, and I didn't consider this starting, it was one long vocal from the downbeat. I started singing. There was not a solo. There was not an instrumental solo hardly at all in the whole set yeah. there might have been two little spaces where someone played a little something and the rest was all high hard singing so it was a very taxing show to do it was a difficult show from a physical standpoint to be able to do that every night um so this bluegrass show it's kind of like coming home huh bluegrass music has always been coming home to me i mean yeah. this is what i cut my teeth on it's it's there's not a doubt anyone who knows me knows it's why i'm playing music i mean the album that that lit the fire under me was the 0044 album on rounder with uh, jd crow and ricky skaggs tony rice jerry douglas bobby sloan that uh, new south album was and still is the benchmark that i weigh everything against it's it's the type of music that fuels me i love that i absolutely love that i can't wait for tonight because you're my first show back we saw the oaks oh. uh in nashville but that was more like a dinner theater setup it was a great show but this will be the first show in a in a concert venue, in a concert atmosphere, and an honor to get to talk to you. Well, we're sure excited to do it. It's no lie. Like the guys that I have with me now, again, I had a fantastic band when I did the Southern Gothic tour. I mean, I was yep. very particular with with the the people, not only their musicianship, but how they were as people. I mean, I had a great group of guys. I feel the exact same way. Like I have, I I could not wish for a better band. You have two I mean, young women. I do. I have uh, Maddie Denton playing fiddle. I have Grace Davis playing bass. I've had a couple people come up and say, you know, you have a couple girls in the band, like you're trying to mix it up. And I'm like, I'm doing the same thing I've always done, man. I've played, I've tried out everybody and I picked the best musicians. Oh, yeah. Period. I mean, they happen to be female. Makes no difference, man. They are players. No, I'm talking about, with no disrespect because you don't have to reveal... Their age. I thought one of them was your daughter. <laughs> no, my daughter. Do- my kids are older than that. Wow. Yeah, they are younger than my oldest daughter. Yes, my my daughter. Do- I have a daughter who is older than both Maddie and Grace. Um, yeah, they're they're very young, but they're very seasoned. Like I never knew. F- f- like the whole band that I'm playing with, the only one I really n- knew from the past was Adam Steffi. You know, I've I've been playing music with Adam since Acus days. Yeah. Way back. Um, Thirty years of of, of playing with Adam. On and off. Jason, Grace, Maddie, I have only known them for the time they've been in this band. I met them and hired them all in the same time. I had no idea who any of them were, but I listened to uh, to the banjo man, you know, Jason on the on YouTube. I went and never had to try him out. I listened for about twenty seconds, and he was obviously my guy. I was like, if if he wants to do it. There's no need to even play. I said, if you you know, if you wanted the job, yours. And he was in, so that was great. And Adam had known Jason. They were friends. They lived together. And uh, at first, Barry Bales was coming back with the bass. But uh, through all this, Barry has a, a working farm 
that just demands all of his time. There was no way to really commit and do what we, you know, plan on doing. So early on, he was gracious enough to say, you know, I hate to do this, but if, if you plan on playing a lot, you're going to have to have someone who can do it. So I put the word out, you know, with the guys. I was like, who can we get? And they said, you know, and I remember Jason saying, oh, my wife plays bass. And I thought, well, okay, great, you know, but, you know, who can we get that's like the shit? And I was like, who can we, re-? like, we need, yeah. we need someone who's, He's like, you know, well, we'll check, you know, maybe we'll come and pick, you know. And I was like, well, okay, so we'll go down and pick. And when I remember, I went down, I had Maddie with me, and I talked to Maddie for six hours. I had heard her same way, only on the Internet. I knew she was great, but I'd never played with her. You never know, like, how that's going to, like, the banjo guy, I felt more sure about. So I'm getting to know Maddie, and we get down there. And when I remember when we first played, Grace wasn't there yet. We had one of their buddies playing an electric bass, like, setting in, just, you know, a friend, and and it was fun to play because we hadn't played. I hadn't played in over a year. It was so yeah. I was so happy to be playing music, you know. But you can tell when you're used to a certain level that you know when it's there and when it's not. And we were having fun. It was fine. And then in comes Grace with her bass, and I didn't even realize she was gonna be there. You know, I just knew we were going down to pick with him. He's like, "Yeah, let's pick a couple of Grace." And we're like, "Okay, great." And she, you know, she took her bass out and had a little GK amp plugged in her little amp. You know, the bass sounded good. You know, she was tuning up. I was like, the "Tone sounded good." When we kicked off the first song. You know, you, I mean, you know, when you're a player, you, you you know when it feels like, oh. And my head went back and looked at Adam. I was like, man, what are we, you know, I, jokingly, I said, what are we going to tell Barry? <laughs> this is when I still thought Barry was in the band. You know, we didn't yeah. know that. And it was, so shortly after that was when Barry let me know that he couldn't do the band. I was like, well, we've we've already played with the, with, with the player, so does she want a gig is, was the question. And she, of course, was thrilled to take the job. So, yeah, I, I got really lucky because it's. I mean, there are so many players. There's so many great players. That doesn't mean that it works out to where they can take the job. I mean, it worked out where everyone could take the job. Everybody wants to play. I mean, we're ready to play as much music as, as people will have from us. So we're, we're very excited. I love that. Real quick before I let you go, Union Station. Coming back? Not coming back? What's the deal? What's the deal There's, there? There's, you know, no official comment because there's still stuff. I mean, you know, we still stay in touch. We, we still have recorded music that hasn't been released yet. Um, we still love each other. We're still, you know, like, but we've just all gone so far down this rabbit hole of all doing our own things Yeah. that we're, we're just, we're, we're going to let it run its course for a little while. And I will not say there will be no more music from Acus. I love it. That's something I refuse to say because I think it's, uh, we've spent too much time together for it to never happen again. I'm just not going to put a date on it. I love it. Dan Tominski, always a pleasure. Thank you for making the time. Cannot wait to see the show, and that, that's an understatement. Thank so you So happy much. to do it, and uh, happy you guys are out here. Thank you. I can tell you're tired, Matt. You've had a long weekend. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, family came in earlier today and then dropped me off in Maryland, and then I did the interview, saw the show, and uh, got in a car and came right back, back from Maryland, and I just walked in the door five minutes ago. <laughs> so, but, but I couldn't hold it in. I couldn't hold it in because... It was a, it was purely emotional. Mm-hmm. There there was a moment in the show where they said we're just so glad to be back doing live music, and almost the whole crowd said we are too, literally at him. Wow. Uh, and the cheering, oh my god! You thought we you would think we were an arena. It was a a venue I'd say of about three hundred. Their website says um, 
their website says that they're still only doing 160 capacity. No, this there was that that's old. They they had at least two or three hundred people there. Um, wow. it, was, it was great. Um, the cheering, the cheering and the applause was almost foreign to me. I hadn't been in that environment for so long. It was almost like, oh, this is what it sounds like. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, where did you sit? Because I'm looking at a picture on Facebook uh, that you shared on our page, and uh, I, I, I posted it on Instagram for those that follow us there. Um, it looks like you were pretty close to the stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was very close. It was one of those venues where there's really not a bad seat in the house because it's all, like, just tables. Uh, it, it was it was really, really cool. Uh, it was very close. Music was fantastic. Dan's voice was immaculate, as ever. Um, it was just, it was phenomenal. And this is why I say that when we go to see Garth in, in just a few weeks' time, it's going to be history. Mm-hmm. Because the, the atmosphere is going to be, you know, they'll write about this in history books. People return to large live events after spending a year staying away from people. And I have to say, what got me, it wasn't the show. It was not the show. I mean, uh, that was awesome and everything, and and it was a great show. And it was very lively and probably more lively than it normally would have been because it was still bluegrass, but, I mean, you'd have thought the guy was a rock star because people just wanted to get out. What got me was the people that were mingling and catching up afterwards. And stopping the musicians, the, the, the violinist, she was killer. Her name's Maddie Denton. She's younger than me, and she is a school teacher by tra- by by day, but by night. She's one of the best fiddle players in the business. Interesting. So she's on, she's his fiddle player, but she still teaches children during the day. Apparently. Apparently. Wow. And was people going, oh, my God, I didn't know you were here, and hugging Mm-hmm. These people they hadn't seen in forever, or just, just it's like nobody missed a beat. Wow, nobody didn't know how to do this. Yeah, nobody didn't know how to go to a concert. Yeah, how to interact with people. That's what made me lose it. Was like, oh my god, we're really back. Yeah, I have to put this mask on in this Uber to get home, but but that doesn't matter anymore. Right, because we're back. Well, let me let me ask you this for for those that uh, I know you and I talked off here a little bit um, earlier as you had arrived there. But um, what was the atmosphere like entering? Did you have to show proof of vaccination and did you have to wear a mask? No, no. And actually, I was there a little early because of the interview. The crew actually uh, pulled me back and I actually sat with the band with three three members of the band and the crew. Uh, oh, nice. Three band members, two crew members, while they ate dinner. Um, I didn't eat. I had had a middle of the day like lunch dinner with family, and I, I was actually not hungry. I also, this was in Annapolis, Maryland, which is a beautiful uh, uh, bayside town, gorgeous, picturesque. I, I walked around a little bit because I got there early, and I had ice cream and just just enjoyed being out among the people. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't have picked a better place to really see a show like this, a a nice cozy town like that to see a bluegrass show. And so 
they actually pulled me back early. I sat there a little bit, then I went did the interview with Dan, and we talked for a little while. And he went, "Oh my God, I'm loving talking to you, but I gotta hit the shower and and uh, get dressed." Yeah, there was nothing, and and I didn't even really. The wait staff knew I was there because I made a point of asking. When I realized that it was getting close to the interview time, I'm like, "Okay, it's getting close to the interview time. We're gonna go a little past doors open. I want to mark my spot." So I asked one of the wait staff. I said, "Excuse me." I said. Is this a pick your seat or is it a sign seat? And she said, it's a sign seat. I said, okay, great. So then you have a spot for me. I'm doing an interview with Dan uh, in the dressing room. I'll be out after. So I didn't even have to go back out into the lobby. I just came out from where we were talking. And and uh, and the wait staff was waiting for me. And one woman said, yep. She said, I talked to our I talked to our box office. You're, you're right here. So awesome. They sat me where they sat, sat me. Uh, it was, it was great. It was just, just great. Just to go back at it and for one, get an interview before the show and that close to showtime, it ne- never happens. I mean, I know we've done Garth interviews day of, but rarely does, does an artist do interviews with media, you know, that close to showtime, especially, but, um, to, to be your first official concert back, we'll, we'll put it that way and to do an interview. And then get a photo with them, and then get to hang out with the band and crew. That had to be extra special, man. Uh, I I was grinning from ear to ear the whole time. You know, there are some who believe that when you're a journalist, you shouldn't be a fan. Mm. But the, but no 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 no, and that's fair. When you reach a certain yeah. pinnacle, yes and no, no. When you reach a certain pinnacle and you have a certain beat, and you need to look at situations objectively, like. Would you want somebody who's chummy with Hillary Scott to cover the Lady A and need a white story? No, you wouldn't. No, no. You want somebody who's objective, who understands the genres, but who's objective. Right. But I, but for go ahead. But for what we do, the joy in covering it is that relationship, mm-hmm. is getting invited into that world a little bit uh, to see it. You know, doesn't mean that if Dan Tominsky doesn't get arre- you know, gets arrested for a DUI tomorrow, we're not going to report it. You know, not that he would. Right. He's not a heavy drinker. I'm not insinuating anything. Um, although I did find out one of the things he splurges on is bourbon. <laughs> um, so now I know that next time I meet him, I'll bring him a nice bourbon. Um, he's not a heavy drinker, but I'm just, I'm just saying as an example, you know, we're not above reporting negative things about artists, but in terms of how we go about our concert reviews, we want to take you, the reader, you, the listener, along with us. Mm-hmm. We're not there to be snobs. I sat next to a guy uh, at the Sugarland concert, and I won't say his name a because I don't remember it, and b he's like the only con- he's like the concert reviewer for the particular publication he was there for. And my mother, who used to work for Lehigh County, had had a couple of run-ins with him, just because you know her job would take her to different media events and things, and. And he had a couple different beats over the years. The guy had half his article pre-written. He did not like that I was... We were on a platform. Mm-hmm. We were on a platform, actually an undercover, which was good because it was raining a little bit before the show started. Uh, this was at Sugarland at the Allentown Fairgrounds. And he didn't like that I was enjoying myself. He kept glaring over at me. And at one point he said, will you please stop, stop that? It's shaking the platform. And... I did for t- two seconds, <laughs> and then I continued. But I'm there to enjoy myself, and I feel like if I'm not enjoying myself, 
Well, then you need to hear about that. One show I don't think I reported on, I think it was either right after right after or right before we started working together, Pentatonics. Went to see... No, no, those were press tickets. I remember I would never pay to see Pentatonics. <laughs> I didn't have a good time because it rained and on an album, it's much more nuanced. Live, I remember saying that live it all kind of fell flat. Mm-hmm. On an album, it's beautiful and nuanced, but live it fell flat. I was miserable because of the rain. And you know what? I'm open to a redo now that they have new members and you know maybe in a more climate-controlled uh, thi- uh, 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 venue. But I'm there to give you the perspective of a fan who loves it as much as you do. Right. And and I, I'm sitting there thinking, not only did I miss doing this, I missed this part of myself. It's a very centering thing to be at a show, to close everything out, to have be done with your day, close everything out, and and go see a show. And I'm like, I missed this part of my life. Not just doing it and going to, and doing it and having it to do, but I missed this as an integral part of who I am going and seeing these shows. So... Sorry to talk so much, but it, it was it was amazing, you know. Getting like you said, getting to hang with the band, getting to talk to Dan, getting to socialize with him a little bit before you had to run to get ready. Uh, it just it, it really felt like nothing was different. Right. No, I mean usually you're a little more upbeat on these shows, and I, I can tell you're worn out because uh, we usually don't cut a rap right after. Five minutes of walking into the door from having a long day. Well, you know what happened? I was I was so full of energy in the car, and then I closed my eyes, and I fell asleep, and then I got home. And so I actually accidentally napped. Otherwise, I'd be a fireball right now because it was just... Ah! Yeah. It was just so good. Well, no, and, and to, to go back to the whole fan thing, you know, we I, I get that, but at the same time, you, you've got to have... You got to be a fan of music if you're going to cover it. Is the way I feel. I, you're not going to see me at a rap concert because I'm not a fan. I don't enjoy that type of music, and they couldn't pay me a million dollars to go see any rap artist because that's not my thing. And right, you know, to, to give an actual, uh, honest, non-biased review, I I couldn't do it because I don't know about that style. Yes, I report it, but sure. there's a difference in reporting and a difference in reviewing. So I, I have a higher, th- I do think I have a higher, we talked about this the other day, I do think I have a higher threshold than you with that because mm-hmm. I do have a, a little bit of a rubric. Like my one bone to pick with, with, with the show, and, and it's purely technical and they're working on it, and my God, I can't hit them over the head with this too much because we're just all getting back at it but they kept having to tune mm. they kept having to tune now that that's two reasons number one they were just so happy to be on stage they were going at it and so every song they would play themselves out of tune like by the end of the song the strings would just need to be tightened yeah number two little bit of set listing like come on guys know what what keys you're gonna what key you can start in and then kind of end up in tune as you do wear wear on those strings just just some of those technical sort of aspects of it for show flow but nobody minded i didn't care it was some of the funniest material of the night well you know came from from them having to take breaks to tune yeah and and that's what makes the show you know that is still part of my rubric is 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 how much downtime is there 
and how how does it interrupt the show? So like if we were to go see if I were to go see Justin Bieber, I don't like Justin Bieber, but were his vocals on point? Was the did the production supplement? Did the production get in the way? Oh my god, perfect example since we're going down concert memory lane. Pitbull. I remember titling that <laughs> that article uh dancers tracks featuring Pitbull or something. It was something <laughs> featuring Pitbull because he was such a minor part of his his actual vocals and his actual performance was such a minor part of the show. And he was super late to the stage, I remember. Um, was such a minor part of the show. And he didn't even really do anything new for Vegas, which is also when I'm in Vegas. If I've seen you on the road and then I've seen you in Vegas and you just do your road show, you're screwed. Yeah. Because I will point that out. Um, but I... I was disappointed because it was so little of him. And and Armando is a very talented man. He really is. And he's a philanthropist. I've got nothing against him as a musical artist, but he gets on stage and he just thinks gyrating around hot girls with tracks of the people he's sung with in the background is going to get him anywhere. That's wrong. Yeah. You've grifted people out of money at that point. You have a good voice. Use it. You know, I'd go see a Pitbull acapella show. I don't know how it would work, <laughs> but he does have a good he does have a good voice. You know, that makes sense. Um, Shania, every number she had, it's like she took her Vegas show and put it on the road. Every number she had had a set piece or something changed with it, or there was a video. There was some illusion in her show that made you think she was on stage when she wasn't, so that she could do a quick change. Her show complemented. Um, her music very, very well. So I do have a little bit of a rubric, but at the core, especially when I'm a fan, I- I'm in your pocket and I'm in your corner all the way. Yeah. Even if I'm not a fan, I'm in your corner because I still want to be entertained. I want to be able to tell my family 10, 20 years from now, yeah, I saw Justin Bieber right before the voice went out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or whatever's going to yeah. happen to him in his old age. So, so I'm... I'm a fan first, and I make, and I told Dan this, and I make no apologies. When we stopped recording, I said, okay, the interview was a pretext to corner you in a room and say, the song that I heard you do on the Brad Paisley tour, you need to record it. <laughs> and I did. What did he say? <laughs> and we had a, he, it was like, you're not the first person to tell me that. It needs to be a part of a bigger project, but you're right. You're right. It's a version of Dust Bowl Children. That is in the vein of the sort of Southern Gothic EDM bluegrass thing. Mm. It, it was I've talked about it on this show before. It's it's phenomenal, and it stuck with me for two and a half years. So, um, plus his voice, he just is one of the top ten voices in country music. His voice just kills me, and it's like this man needs to be a star. Uh, he is a star in his own right, but I mean he needs to be huge. So I just, you know. Their concerts are back with no caveat. Yeah. It's. I, yeah. It, it felt good. It well, felt so good. We're not going to spoil anything coming up, but, you know, we, we do have uh, plans that uh, coincide with Garth when we're there. Um, you know, perhaps more 
uh, entertainment for us that we get to hopefully report on. We're really looking forward to this trip coming up here in uh, a couple weeks now as, uh, as this airs. And uh, couldn't be more excited because, yes, music's back. You know, we were, obviously, for fans that follow us, we were in Vegas uh, over Memorial Day. Um, I was there for 24 hours. I was super excited because, uh, you know, I, everybody knows I'm a tourist first. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we're going to explore more of that city together. You're going to be my tour guide. And uh, I, I, I even sent you a uh, a restaurant because you've been bugging me like what what is one restaurant that you want to go to uh my treat will will go but i'm like well, i don't know dude you know i really don't know i'm i'm not too keen on vegas uh you know knowing what's there and stuff except for the last month as i've been prepping for for it i'm suddenly into it now and i was watching a show on netflix and uh I think we're going to check out uh, a restaurant called Slater 5050. The 24K Burger is calling my name with pulled bacon. Super excited. I don't know what you're planning to get, um, but we do have to make those reservations. So once we get everything squared away. You know we'll that's $100, that. right? Uh, it said $24, didn't it? Nope. Okay. Well, we're going to second guess that. But uh, <laughs> I didn't see that. Didn't you watch the thing? The guy had a golden ticket that said $100 on it. Yeah, he had a golden ticket. I, I think they offer a golden ticket, but if you look at the menu, it I, I swear it said $24 because not the whole thing. Is All right, the, I'll look at the, the menu. I was just going off the show. I watched the episode based on your recommendation. Yeah. The, the whole, but, the know, whole okay, thing so is not. Um, I think if you get the golden ticket, everything is, is in gold, but the bacon is in gold if you get the, the $24 one, if, if I think correctly, but go on. So 23 songs Tominsky did tonight, 90 minutes. Of course, Man of Constant Sorrow was there. Not too much from Allison Krauss and Union Station uh, catalog, but a fun, fun night. He really makes bluegrass fun. Uh, I, I just got to say, concerts are, I, again and again, concerts are back. Yeah. Not only are shows back, but the atmosphere of concerts are back. And that is, I think, what I took away the most i mean the show was phenomenal and i needed to see a show for god i've been itching to see a show but but the atmosphere is back mm -hmm. and that is and to tie it to what we have upcoming that is what i'm most excited about about vegas yeah the show's going to be great but 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 being at the show is going to be even greater yeah if that makes any sense yeah um it, it's just going to be unlike anything because a year without it, and I'm sitting there smiling, listening to this thing, and I'm like, I will never, ever take for granted sitting in a seat and having somebody play me music ever again. You know, and and that's honorable, but it's going to be hard because it's something that, as we've talked about before on this show, it's just something that it's not normal to think about that going away at any point. Yeah. And it's just really tough to think well, about Well, now that. we know it could. Yeah. Now yeah. we know it could. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, that burger is $24. Okay. Uh, so. Um, then what was the whale version that was $100 with like all the gold shit? <laughs> if you find a whale on the tables somewhere or they're hidden throughout, you scan it with your phone and you, you get some golden ticket. I, I don't know. Um. I just know I was sitting there trying to... No, because his came with champagne and everything. 
Yeah, I you know, I, I'm not real sure, but um, we'll find out, I guess, and then we'll report on it as part of our uh, Vegas review week. Um, cause I know you're going to be there a little longer. Um, we're still figuring out timelines for things that we've got planned. Obviously Garth being Saturday and, uh, hopefully some other events throughout the week. Uh, and we're definitely gonna, mm-hmm. gonna be, uh, doing, uh, some, uh, Insta. Don't know if we'll go live, but definitely more video and audio or definitely more video this time than we did last time, uh, as, yep. as we get it. So, uh, we'll film little videos and keep people updated because I know people are interested to see how this Garth thing is going to start because I know shows have already started, AKA tonight, but Garth, I mean, being sold out at 70 plus thousand people, it's one of the first, uh, first back at that capacity. Um, you know, and of course tickets, uh, have been sold out since February of 2020. Now, as, uh, we initially were talking, uh, over the weekend, uh, additional tickets on sale Monday, uh, the 21st at, uh, I, I believe, uh, noon Pacific or 10 a.m. Pacific, one of the two, and uh, a limited number. So it sounds like some holds became available, maybe some returns, whatever. But uh, it's going to be fun, and we've got a Facebook group. You can check us out. It's Garth Concert Meetup in Vegas. Um, you know, trying to get some activity in there and trying to figure out a good time to meet some people and... Um, Hopefully, uh, we'll chat with you there and feature you on the podcast as well. And uh, we're hoping to chat with Garth ourselves, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, we're really looking forward to it because it's our first official show together. Uh, you know, I love it, and uh, it, it's it's going to be great. Well, thank you for sticking in there. I know this was a long one, twenty minutes with Dan, half hour with us. Yeah. For the Music Universe podcast, I am Matt, and I am ecstatic to be seeing concerts again. And I'm Buddy Jan, uh, co-host of the Matt Bailey Show tonight. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next time. Check us out on themusicuniverse.com. Follow us on socials and hit that subscribe button. And go to tmupod.com to subscribe to our podcast. See y'all.